Now we're going to have an interesting journey of praise this summer. Those of us who went through Hurricane Katrina may be thinking, I don't know if I want to reflect back on that experience too much, but what we're going to do instead is focus on the wonderful things God has done in these intervening 10 years. And I hope that you will take the opportunity to go back to the table, let folks wait for you in the car while you go ahead and put down the praises that correspond to the years on those banners. Let's fill those banners up. It'll mean something to each one of us to see the praises that are written on those banners, and it'll mean something to you to write it down and remember what God has done. As I preach this series, I'm going to preach on Psalm 8 today, which is one of the favorite psalms in all the Bible. Psalm 150 next week, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. And then we're going to go to events that inspired praise from God's people. Somebody said, can you actually preach on praise all summer? And I said, well, all you got to do is turn the page. You know, there's praise on the next page too. So the Bible's full of praise of God. And we're going to end up in the book of Revelation for the last five weeks. Maybe you've been wondering, well, why doesn't that preacher preach on the book of Revelation? I'm going to preach on Revelation. There are great praises unto God in the book of Revelation. We're going to go there for the final five messages in this series, Raise the Praise. Now, we're talking about something that fundamentally changes your experience on the planet. Changes your attitude, changes your outlook, changes the way you think about the world. Praise is powerful. It's powerful in your life and in my life. So this is something relevant to every person in the room, no matter how old or how young you are. No matter where your life has taken you, praise is transformational. All right? Psalm 8, I want us to read it together. Okay? So join me in unison as we read Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. A beautiful set of parentheses. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth beginning with this confession and ending with this confession. And in between some of the reasons that the confession is true, just some of them, not all of them, but an expansive look at why the name of the Lord is majestic in all the earth. 
Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's Yahweh, our Adonai. It's two different words in the Hebrew, translated the same word in English. Yahweh is the personal name of God, sometimes transliterated Jehovah. So the old word Jehovah is in this text. Jehovah, our Adonai, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's what the text says. Now, it is addressed to God. David's talking to God throughout the psalm. It's a prayer. And he's talking to God about how great he is. If you can't do that, you don't understand who God is. Because God is great. He is majestic. And to confess it is to get in sync with the truth. His name is majestic in all the earth. His name is majestic not just in New Orleans, but in Tokyo and Caracas and Lima and Mexico City and New York City. Say, well, all those different places, the name of God is majestic. I don't know if people believe that in those cities. Well, it doesn't really matter. David didn't discover the majestic nature of God. He didn't create the majestic nature of God. He didn't invent it. God revealed it to him. God revealed his nature to him. We don't steal something from God by learning about him against his will. The God who made the universe is showing himself to us. He's revealing himself to us. And David, the shepherd boy, has discovered that the majestic name of God rules in all the earth. He is confessing it because it was revealed to him. Just as it is revealed to all of those who trust in the Lord and sing his praises. David is not a man who was perfect. He was a man after God's own heart, right? He killed Goliath, that is true. He also killed Uriah. Murder. He committed vile sins for which his infamy lives on as well as his fame. And yet he is willing and able as a flawed human being to raise his voice in praise to God. Not thinking of himself so much worthy to do that, but of the character of God that demands it from every human being who acknowledges and understands. We must give God praise. It's required of us. No matter what our journey has been or what missteps we have taken or even what vile things we have done, we can still praise God and ought to do so because he is majestic in all the earth. And to do so is to confess truth. The majesty of God is set in the heavens. It's established in the heavens. God has put his majesty there. The name of God is majestic in all the earth. And the goodness of God is his glory. The goodness of God is his glory. Now, I believe this deeply. And I believe that David is rehearsing this as he goes through the psalm. David believes that God is good. 
And it is the goodness of God that leads us to a turnaround in our life. It leads us to repentance. So we need to discover this truth, understand it and receive it, that God is good. And his goodness is revealed in the creation he has made. I saw a book yesterday that extolled the virtues of evolution and suggested that we would be better people if we practiced principles embedded in the theory of evolution. I thought to myself, I wish I could talk to the author and help him understand the doctrine of creation, that God made the heaven and earth and everything in them, and to see and know the truths that are unveiled in the doctrine of creation. This indeed is transformational. Say, when was the last time you looked at the heavens and thought, wow, they are wonderful. Do you have a moment when you examine the heavens and it's stuck in your mind? When you saw the stars and maybe the planets and your own soul reached out to them and something about just the scene of the vast sky at night put your own troubles in a little bit of perspective and the difficulties and troubles of your world faded a little bit as you saw the heavens in their majesty. A missionary turned off his truck at 13,000 feet elevation and he turned the lights off on that truck and you couldn't see a single artificial light in the Peruvian mountains. And I thought the stars were attacking me. They were just pressing. They were so bright. They were right there in front of me. And I had to say, oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Something about the vastness of the stars and the planets in their orbit helps you understand the expansiveness of God and your own place in the world he has made. Consider the heavens like a shepherd boy would do, sitting out in the pasture at night watching the sheep. Consider the heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have put in place. And then you think, who am I? I feel like I'm receding as I look at the expanse before me. Who am I that you pay attention to me and know my name? The very heavens ought to be enough to elicit from you a word of praise and worship of God. If they do not, if looking at the expanse of all God has made does not stir in you some wonder you need to lower your amazement threshold. All right? You ought to be amazed at the heavens. I discovered something yesterday. If you love lizards, cover your ears. We are renovating the washroom, and I took a cover off one of the electrical plugs, and there was hanging something on the wire. I reached in with the screwdriver, I thought it was a vine that was growing inside the wall. But no, I looked closer and I had my glasses on because I've been doing the little, you know, screws. And it was the skeleton of a six-inch lizard. 
That's all that was left now, okay? Everything else was gone. I don't know how many years it had been laying there. I don't know if he got electrocuted. Or maybe he just got trapped in the wall and couldn't get out. But the ribs of that lizard were amazing. I looked at it as long as I could, and then it fell into the wall. But I thought, what a marvelous design God made for a lizard that is here today and gone tomorrow. I wonder at the majesty of God revealed in his smallest creatures. Have you noticed the camouflage of a cucumber? How many of you thought about that today? <laughs> you can't find them. They're hidden so not all of them get eaten and the seeds get planted. And God made the world that way. There are a million things for you to be astonished by. A pair of mallards, Billy Stoffel, went over my house today. And I heard the whoosh of their wings. And I looked up just in time to see them go by. And they are a marvel God has made. See, it's the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the flocks of herds on the hillside. David, the psalmist, looks out there and says, How majestic is your name in all the earth, not just the expanse of space, but the stuff right up close here. It all amazes me. I'm astonished by the goodness of God. I marvel at all that he has done. God's goodness is packed into your world. And if you can't see it and can't experience it, you are the poorer for it. To confess the goodness of God in all of the little miracles around you is only to acknowledge the truth. It's the world in which you live, this world full of delights. God literally stretches his hand out to you every day, and it is overflowing with wonder it's fuller than the hand can hold it's dripping with delight and promise and surprise he does it every day for you and your life will change when you realize how good God is and his goodness is unassailable it is unmistakable and it is irrevocable. And nothing bad that has happened to you can cancel out the goodness of God extended to you by his hand every day. Though you have troubles, though you have trials, though sorrow has come into your life, the birds will sing in the morning. The sun will come up. The birds will fly by as you look out your window. And God will delight you and surprise you with his world. You see, he's a good God every day. And his goodness lasts forever. Your loving kindness, God, is better than life. I'm going to praise you for it. Now, praise is your stronghold against your enemies. You have ordained praise as a stronghold against your enemies. Some of you are thinking that must be a highly sophisticated form of praise that would be a stronghold against the enemies. And I tell you, no, it's the kind of praise that an infant gives to the Almighty God. I don't know 
if any of you spoke when you were infants. Out of the mouths of children and infants, you have ordained praise. That's what the scripture says. That's what Psalm 8 says. What in the world is he talking about? I think surely he must be talking about the cooing of an infant. The smile of an infant. That makes you laugh and draws you in. Enriches your life. I'm so grateful Graham is still here. Our two and a half year old grandson. Because he's a delightful presence. Infants give praise to God because they receive life with such simplicity. They affirm life as they snuggle up close to us. And it's simple. And it's rich. And it's the kind of praise that bullfrogs, mallards, and lizards give God. All of which function in the way God made them. Jesus said, a little child praises God in such a pure way. Become like him. You think the children cannot enjoy a great gift of God? Surely they can. We're celebrating this year the 70th anniversary of the ballpoint pen. Did you know that? <laughs> Don, you know it. It was in the Wall Street Journal yesterday. <laughs> this fellow from Budapest was trying to figure out how to make a pen that would work. He went to the cafe, frustrated, and sat down. He was looking out the window. The story goes, and he saw a child flicking a marble through a puddle. And when it left the puddle, the marble left a stream a line of water. And from that, we get the ballpoint pen. Bic sold $2 billion worth of them last year. You probably used one. A very simple design. You see, the little child leads him. The children lead us in praise. It is simple, but powerful in our life and it is a stronghold against so many of the things that assail us against the foe and the avenger and you just go ahead and say in your heart what is your greatest foe what is your greatest enemy what brings you down what stirs your heart what what burdens your life what makes you sorrowful what makes you sad? What is the thing that gets in your mind and steals your joy? What is the foe? What is the avenger? In your life, is it despair? Is it discouragement? Is it frustration? Is it confusion? Do you wish you had more answers? Do you wish you knew more? If I could just understand, is that what you say? If I could just understand, I could reconcile myself. I could have peace if I could just understand. What is it that's keeping your heart stirred up? God has ordained praise to address that enemy. In your mind and soul. You say, I don't know how praise can do it. How could praise do it? Praise does it. Praise is your stronghold against the foe that attacks you every day. In the wee hours of the morning. When the sorrow comes, your stronghold is praise. 
Janet's grandfather built a concrete box buried in the earth. There's a door that almost is parallel to the ground. It lies right there on the ground. You flip it up and down you go on concrete steps into a storm shelter with about an eight inch concrete roof. When you're in there, if you think a storm's coming, a tornado's coming, you can go in there and you can know we're safe, all right? No storm is going to hurt us. That's what praise is to you. That's what praise is. That's the stronghold praise is in your life. When you are assailed by the enemy, when your mind is being touched by that despair or sorrow that you feel, when you're being drawn away from what God has for you, you turn to praise, and praise addresses the hurt, the pain, the sorrow, the difficulty in your life. Praise is your stronghold. You say, well, I don't know if I feel like praising the Lord. I didn't ask you if you felt like it. You probably don't feel like it when you're under attack from the foe, from the enemy. When you think about going into that stronghold, maybe you don't feel like it. That's all right. You give God praise because he requires it, because he asks you to do it. He says to do it, and so you praise him. Praise him, praise him. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. And so we praise. We say, Lord, I want to praise you. And you just start recounting the things that God has blessed you with, the goodness of God in your life. You just start saying it out loud. Go ahead and let your ears hear what your mouth is saying, all right? Not just in your heart, but out loud. You're driving down the road, and you're beset by difficulty, and you begin to say, Lord, I want to thank you. I want to praise you for the good relationships in my life, for the things that have gone my way. I want to thank you for the good uh, blessings that you've given me, for the sun coming up in the morning, that beautiful sunrise, and just give him praise. And somehow praise becomes the stronghold that defeats the enemy in your life. There's a position of praise that brings you back into a sense of the presence of God, the perspective that confesses that, that Christ is Lord of all. It calms your heart. It brings you peace. It settles you down. And it turns your focus back to the God who can do anything. With him all things are possible. Praise is the heritage of the people of God. The people of God have been singing his praises for thousands of years. Song belongs to people of faith most profoundly. The heart swells up in an effort to say, Thank you to the God who made it all. He climaxes all his good gifts in the giving of his son. God so loved the world that he gave. The stars, the moon, the planets, the green pastures and lofty mountains, and raging sea. God so loved the world that he gave the flocks, the fishes, the birds. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You made him a little lower than the angels. 
then crowned him with glory and honor. I see Jesus in this psalm of praise. And I see Jesus as God's greatest gift to us. I asked the man this week, I said, do you want to ask Jesus to come into your life and forgive your sin? You want to know him? And he said, yes. It's not so difficult, nor far away. It is a simple affirmation of the good God who made you and loved you and calls you to himself through his one and only son, Jesus. Bow with me, please. Lord, I thank you that your presence fills this room and fills the earth and there's not a single place any one of us could go that you are not there. I thank you, God, that you are the awesome creator of all there is. And I thank you, God, that in all your giving, you gave us your one and only son. And so today, Lord, we praise you and acknowledge you for the majestic God you are to us. I pray for that one who needs to take a step of faith now, trusting in Jesus alone as Savior, confessing their faith in Him. I pray for that one who needs to come back from the edge of the darkness by unleashing the praise in their heart and their mouth. Lord, let your praise be our stronghold. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.